Hello listeners, and welcome to The Detail's new podcast called Michael Jackson Unspun. Jackson was admitted the biggest selling album of all time. Michael Jackson has become the first artist in the history of music to generate six number one singles off one album. Michael Jackson! Michael Jackson! But I must confess it feels good to be thought of as a person, not as a personality. Right, so welcome to this episode of the Details Podcast, Michael Jackson Unspun. Uh, I'm Matt, the video creator behind YouTube The Detail, and also your host for this series. Um, but I'm not here alone. Um, I'm also here with another Michael Jackson YouTuber, uh, MJ Fangirl. How, how's it going? Hi, good to see you, or good to be here with you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so like how on my series, I have the truth behind the song and I go through, like I've done it with Billie Jean and uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough and Recently Bad. Uh, we're going to do the truth behind the album uh, for Off The Wall. Um, so yeah, I thought that'd be interesting because a lot of the time the like discussion topics are all like overlap each other as well. Right. So it'd be great to have a more like holistic view of the whole album, that period. Uh, in Michael Jackson's career. Yeah, I think it's a really fun album to talk about. Um, I think a lot of fans love it and a lot of the general public loves it. It's just like a beloved album. So it's going to be a good conversation. Right. So first question I have is when you think of Off The Wall, what first comes to mind? Uh, uh, when I think of Off The Wall, I think about Michael Jackson reaching adulthood. You know, when the album came out, he was 21 mm -hmm. and he was finally branching out on his own. And I don't know where I heard this, but I heard a quote when Michael Jackson said when he was creating Off the Wall, the thing he wanted most is for it not to sound like the Jacksons. Um, and I think mm. that was a bold and brave move. And I always um, remember that when I think about Off the Wall and like what he had to go through to even make something like that. Yeah, and I think I think for me, it, it not even taking into consideration like the context and the time and stuff when I think of off the wall I just feel like it's Michael Jackson in his most vibrant most um exuberant high energy excitement really kind of like bursting out with creativity as well as his just excitement for life and what opportunities were available yeah. to him at that time and I I feel like it was kind of a long time coming for him to have that amount of creative control and for him to really really have this um this motivation to to prove himself and to prove himself as an artist and show everyone and show the world what he was capable yeah, of. yeah I I totally agree with that and I think that um Michael did a great job in like creating his own unique sound and his unique sound starting with Off the Wall really. Uh, some of the, the sounds that he would make and some of the ways he would sing and the vocals are, are seen later on in his career. So I think this was like a really big monumental start for him. Well yeah, like all the, the like hiccups and the little tweaks, what do you call them? Like those little yeah. sound effects that he kind of started yeah, at that Yeah, the human time. sound effects. The Michael Jackson soundboard. Did he, did he do any of those types of things before um, Off the Wall? I mean, s somewhat. Um, you could kind of hear some of that in like maybe the Destiny album, but I'm reaching honestly. Mm. I think a lot of it started on Off the Wall. 
Yeah, but you know, if you listen to like a song like、um, "Shake Your Body Down to the Ground" or like even the title track from Destiny, I feel like、mm. some of the way that he's singing on those songs and like the sound effects, like we mentioned,、um, you can hear that later on in his, his career. So it, it was all around that same time, though, right? Like the seventy eight, seventy seven, seventy nine. So、mm. yeah, he started to really come into his own. Yeah. So when we, I mean, what's what 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 kind of do you love about the album? Like, what kind of songs really stand out for you? Like, how do you see it as being so different from the Jacksons previously? So for me, I feel like I have always loved "Off the Wall" for its like up tempo songs.、Uh, some、mm. of my favorites are "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" and "Working Day and Night."、Um, and I think "Working Day and Night." I I've said this before, but this is my favorite song to see him perform. Across every era, because it's so exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like, I feel like a lot of Off the Wall works for me. The so, like so songs like Off the Wall and、uh, Working Day and Night. I don't really like them as album tracks as much as I like them sung live. I feel like they really come to their own like live. But then it's odd because the paradox to that is songs like "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" is you know that that is a really great album track. I don't like that song so much when it's sung live,、um, yeah. which probably explains maybe Michael Jackson didn't like singing it live that much because he didn't really sing it a lot throughout his tours.、Um, I know he did for. The Destiny tour, wasn't it? But I don't think he did it in Victory. Did he do it in Victory?、Um, he did it in、um, Destiny and Triumph tours for sure.、Hmm. But I don't think he did it past that at all. I think he did. Did he do it? He did it in History. Yes, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like a a little. What do you call it when you put like three songs together?、Um, the medley, the off the wall medley. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just you know I love the up tempo songs, but I think it's interesting because. Uh, I was reading the Moonwalk, his autobiography book, the other day, and I saw that he said that ballads are what make "Off the Wall" "Off the Wall," and I was shocked、yeah. by that because I mean, the ballads don't particularly stand out for me.、Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's such a juxtaposition between like the ballads. There's never like a mid-tempo. There's like high energy, or there's very, very somber、yeah. <laughs> ballads in there. Yeah, I guess "Girlfriend" is kind of a mid-tempo. It's kind of playful. It's not really a ballad. It's not really a dancey track.、Um, but that's, to be honest, that's one of my worst ones on the album. <laughs> you know, okay. So for me, I feel like "Off the Wall" is really a timeless album, with the exception of like "Burn This Disco Out." I don't know. I guess because it's at the、mm. end of the disco era, it had to have some disco. But to me, that's like the only track that's like really like dated on there. But everything else. I feel like he did a really good job at like making this a very unique album and an album that I think a lot of people can listen to all the way through.、Hmm. Yeah, it does feel completely timeless in that respect. And I always get backlash、um, when I put out my videos for "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" and "Rock With You"、uh, because a lot of the articles and the、um, Uh, kind of reviews of them. They sp-、uh, spoke about them, saying that they were disco tracks, and everyone's like, "They are not disco. This is not disco. This is not a disco album."、Um, uh-huh. Which I don't know. Do you, do you think it's disco? I I kind、um... of feel like it has disco flavors, but I feel like he was obviously trying to evolve the genre beyond. 
yeah. those kind of typical motifs of disco. I feel like he was trying to get away from disco here because I think this was the end. This was coming out in 79, so I'm assuming this is the end of the disco era. And mm. again, he really wanted this to sound different than the Destiny album, which the Destiny album had Shake Your Body Down to the Ground, which is like one of the biggest disco hits. So I think personally he wanted to go away from that. I don't consider it disco, but at the same time, I can understand how reviews at the time might have classified it as that, because mm. perhaps that was a trend. So if that's a trendy word, yeah, let's put Michael Jackson in there with it and then evaluate from that point. So I get mm. it. And was there kind of, um, did they kind of reduce things down? Like, oh, it's up-tempo, it's dance, and it's by a black artist, it's disco. Like, yeah. do you think there was a certain amount of just kind of reducing it down to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that um, Michael Jackson still very much at this time was considered a black artist, not as so much as mainstream. And I think mm. that the mainstream really didn't come until Thriller had been out for a while. It happened around Motown 25. And so I think when we look back at the reviews, we have to think about that context as well. Um, when Off the Wall came out and Thriller was out, he really wasn't even able to get um, magazine covers still. So I mm. think there's something to that. Yeah. And what I understand as well, I can't find the stat, but I've heard it in documentaries and, and other, um, other articles that I've read, that Off The Wall was the highest selling album by a black artist at that time. Do you know whether that's true? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about that. Because I, lo I looked up um, just recently, you know, on Wikipedia, like the highest selling uh, albums of all time and anyone by a black artist is pre off the wall uh, is post off the wall so i presume it might have been um yeah i could it could very well be i mean michael did um i think something that no one thought he'd be able to do sell that many albums and still have like that contemporary appeal because before that he was just child star still so i think hmm. there's some validity there might that might be true if anybody out there knows leave a comment i guess Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when we think about the album premise, what was going on in his life at the time when he was recording this. So this was um, late 1978. It was right after he'd filmed The Wiz. Um, so that was a really kind of monumental period of his life where it was the first time really I see it as him while filming The Wiz, he was really reaping the benefits of his success and his fame as well, where he was able to get out of the control that he had, you know, from his family and that he kind of branched out on his own. He was socializing out in public. He was, you know, obviously the legendary uh, stories around Studio 54 and Diana Ross and <laughs> Cher and Andy Warhol and, you know, Bianca Jagger and all, all that, all that lot in uh, New York City. Um, yeah. So he's really experiencing um, so much outside of his um, the bubble which he'd kind of been brought up, uh, this kind of showbiz bubble that he was in. So he was really exposed to so much during that period. And um, of course this was the first album that he really wanted to... Um, well, he was, he was able to express his, himself as an artist, as an adult, and really be taken seriously in the music industry outside of Motown and being, you know, fairly kind of manufactured or his songs being, you know, written and, and chosen for him, performances which were, you know, choreographed by someone else. He could show himself his own creative um, uh, capabilities. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think uh, that Michael has said that this was one of the first times that he actually sang songs and put like and had meaning behind them, specifically like the She's Out of My Life. Um, mm -hmm. Prior to that, he'd been singing love songs and ballads and cover songs. But he was saying that this is one of the first albums where he could like really put his emotions on the track. And I think that that's uh, really interesting. I think that's interesting because when you hear him saying like who's loving you you think how could you say you didn't have emotion behind that yeah <laughs> but maybe he was just thinking to like another level or true understanding as an adult what he was singing about yeah he said um well I want to read a quote for him really quick um mm -hmm. he said I'd done ballads with the brothers but they had never been too enthusiastic about them and did them more as a concession to me than anything else off the Wall had, in addition to Girlfriend, a slippery, engaging melody called I Can't Help It, which was memorable and great fun to sing, but a little quirkier than a gentle song like Say Rock With You. So I think here he's just like really like getting into the songs as opposed to just doing them. And yeah, I guess they were doing it mostly when he was a kid to like show off his vocal talents and his voice. And this is the mm. first time we see his personality on the albums. Mm. Because do you know what the story of She's Out of My Life? Out of your life? Out of, yeah, She's Out of My Life. Um, I believe this was written by Thomas Baylor. Hold on, let me just make sure that that's correct. Yes, Tom Baylor. And he wrote this song and like gave it to Quincy Jones. And Quincy like sat on it for years. And he was like, I'm going to give you... Um, I'm going to give this song to someone. I promise it's going to get done. And then he gave it to Michael Jackson. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I know. Oh, okay. Because I, I wonder, do you know how many tracks on here were actually written by Michael Jackson? No, let me see. So I know Rock With You wasn't. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. I think, I think it was between um, in Thriller... Quincy Jones was a lot more like, I want you to write a lot more of the music, but I don't think on this album he wrote a lot of them. Yeah, uh, let me see. I know that he wrote Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And also Girlfriend was written by Paul McCartney, and it was on his album a few years previously. Yes, oh my gosh, I just found that out like two weeks ago. I was so stunned. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I was watching the um, Off The Wall Motown to Off The Wall Journey, whatever the album, the, uh, the, yeah, you know yeah. what documentary I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I've watched uh, it. <laughs> and I had watched that a bunch of times before, and I never caught that part where they said that it was recorded by someone else. I was like, oh, my gosh. Did you, have you heard of that version? I'd be interested to see how they do it differently, because I, I, I can't imagine Paul McCartney doing it the same as Michael Jackson. I mean, okay, it sounds strangely very similar. <laughs> you would be surprised. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, it sounds almost identical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everybody go and listen to Girlfriend, um, recorded by Wings. That's Paul McCartney's other band. Uh. And then also listen to Michael Jackson's and let me know what you think. Let us know because I think it sounds the same. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if it's Michael Jackson, like, because obviously, I don't know, I presume this is the beginning of their creative collaboration together. Um, so I don't know whether Michael Jackson, I think there was some kind of, uh, I can never say that word, but like uh, strategic yeah. aspect to it of trying to um, 
you know, take someone who's very commercial, very someone who's very in the mainstream, has had a huge amount of success, and try and piggyback on their uh, the reputation that they have within the industry in order to bolster his own commercial appeal. Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, I know that Michael brought a lot of the people that worked on the Destiny album and the albums with his brothers to the Off the Wall. So I guess throwing in like. Um, Paul McCartney helped to differentiate the sound even more. Because mm. I know also during this period, um, he was a, he loved the Bee Gees. That was like a big inspiration for him. Like, and I know like doing research about, um, about him during this period that he was frustrated with the, he felt like he wasn't getting enough recognition for his music when someone like the Bee Gees are doing, you know, work that was amazing, but he felt like they were doing work just as good. Um, so it's interesting. Well, actually, he, he did have collaborations with uh, Barry Gibb and he was good friends with them. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that they never, like, commercially collaborated on, an, on a single or anything. Yeah, I would have loved to hear that because I love the Bee Gees also. And I definitely see some of uh, the Bee Gees, like, influence on Michael too. Yeah. And also one thing I wanted to say is that um, a lot of people might not realize that Michael Jackson did this off the wall album in the midst of doing um, Destiny. It was like right after Destiny, right after he finished recording off the wall, he jumped into Triumph. So again, it's like looking at the context of things, it was really pretty amazing that he was able to totally put aside everything that they had built as the Jackson 5 and the Jacksons mm. and build his own way, create his own path and make his own presence as an artist with, you know, that commercial appeal and still jump right back into a Jacksons mm. project. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of, that was the deal, wasn't it? So what I read <laughs> was that uh, Joe was really against him doing his own work because he was like, you should be focusing on the Jacksons and the group. Um, but he said, okay, you can do it if you don't let it, um, you know, impact on the work which you're doing with your brothers. Um, so he had to quickly create this album um, for him to creatively explore his own, you know, his own kind of exploits. Yeah. Um, and then just jump in on, on, um, on the Jacksons as well. To the next point around, like, the impact on his career and, and his life after the release of Off The Wall. Yeah, okay, so I have some very maybe unpopular opinion, controversial thought on this, but I'm going to argue that Off the Wall might be the most impactful on Michael Jackson's career. And mm -hmm. I'm going to say this because Off the Wall was something that he put his heart and soul into. He worked amazing, you know, he worked on it, he thought it came out amazing, and then he was kind of jolted back into reality when it only got that one Grammy nomination and that mm -hmm. one Grammy nod. Um, I think they won. He won. Mm -hmm. um, it was for the best R&B vocal performance. I think it was for Don't Stop to Get Enough. But um, yeah, the fact that he worked so hard on it and then still it wasn't recognized, I think that made Michael Jackson more driven than ever to become the best. Mm. And so that's yeah. why I think it shaped his career more than anything else. Yeah. 
No, and I think I I think what it gave him like I you know I feel like the best period of Michael Jackson's life, like and I think the happiest he's ever really been was probably that period between Off the Wall and Thriller. And you always hear these stories around him, obviously reaping the rewards of his success. He'd proven himself. Um, you know, commercially as well as creatively as, a, as an adult, as a serious musician. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the examples which I use is, um, I, I read a story recently around Michael Jackson coming to London in like 80, 81, 82, and, and he was hanging around with the New Romantics and uh, kind of the club scene in, in, in London. And he was, a, he was a big star, but he wasn't at that, you know, I'm being mobbed and scrutinized and, you know, I can't go anywhere out my house at that point. He was, um, he, he had that freedom, but also he had that recognition, which he was really looking for. Um, and I, I, and I think that gave him a certain amount of, uh, contentment in his own life, uh, to, to have re- received that at that point in his career. And also kind of let, yeah, obviously led him to thriller in the sense of, um, you know, giving him the clout in order to get the production and, and the collaborations and, and the type of respect that he was needed in order to spearhead a, an album like that at that period. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I also think uh, in terms of like his success, I think this is where he started to really start to feel uh, in his personal life, he talks about like off the wall being like a very sad like an isolating period for him and Mm. this is I think one of the times when he started to first get that taste of like mega success but then also there's also like a price that you have to pay at the same time and um, I think that started in off the wall well yeah and I think after Thriller it really became I mean, obviously, doing you know, investigating more of, his, more of his life as he records bad, it just becomes too much. This overwhelming expectation on him that he always had to like outdo himself. That you know, he put that on himself, but also there was the media expectation on him that he built this like huge persona and he couldn't quite. But you know, he found it. He it's not like he couldn't do it, but he kind of found it really a pressurizing situation that people were kind of looking for him to fail, or he was worried about you know his positioning and you know ranking and <laughs> what what else who else was coming up to steal his position yeah yeah i think uh when you have that type of drive and competitiveness um it's it's amazing cuz sometimes you produce really good work especially if you work well under pressure like i think michael jackson did but at mm. the same time it must be so exhausting right to always want to outdo yourself especially when you've already done the best like that mm. anyone's ever done in history and you're still trying to outdo yourself. So, um, yeah, I think Off the Wall was interesting, though, because, again, this is before he had anything to outdo. So this might mm. be like the most like lighthearted album out of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also, um, like when you look at the videos and stuff, like they're very simple. They're very clean. I don't think whether M- Michael Jackson had too much of a... Uh, you know, he wasn't too hard on himself in terms of like how they came out. Like, you know, when I was uh, when I was researching about Bad, apparently he wasn't happy with any of the dancing involved. That he wanted it reshot and reshot again. That <gasps> it was delayed for months and months because he wow. was he didn't think it was good enough. And then you think, God, like Bad was incredible. Um, and then you know, but but you know, and a video like Rock With You is an amazing video, but it feels so light and spontaneous. It feels so kind of natural and not like orchestrated or, or um, yeah, like yeah. it feels completely natural. 
I totally agree. And I also, uh, whenever I think about Off The Wall album, I think about the Don't Stop Till You Get Enough video because it was yeah. so, like, the effects were so cheesy and simple and the big glass marble balls behind him and the staircase and all that. Yeah. Um, but it's also fun. Like, I... I just look back at the Don't Stop You Get Enough video and I think like this is just actually the most fun to watch. Like I love the more uh, complicated and more like, you know, uh, I guess bigger budget projects that Michael mm. did in terms of short films too. But I think like you said that th these are very natural and Michael Jackson sells the song really well with just himself and his tuxedo or whatever outfit he has on. Yeah. Well, and, and what would these videos have been used for? Because obviously there was no, like, MTV at the time. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't common for artists to create videos during that period. So he was quite a pioneer from that. You know, just making videos at that time was quite, like, a big, a big deal for him as an artist. Um, yeah. I presume it would have been something like if there was... Well, in the UK, we had a show called Top of the Pops. And um, it would be a chart show where they would have uh, guests come on and it would be like, you know, number 15, it's blah, blah, blah. And then and then they would perform. But if they weren't able to perform, sometimes they would put on, I presume, like a music video like that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm not sure about the usage. Um, I know that uh, MTV was not a thing for Michael Jackson back then. Or was well, it, was it even exist? Did, when did it exist? MTV it? started in 1981, I think. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I actually don't know, but it's interesting for sure. I know that um, Can You Feel It was another video that was like really monumental. It came after the Off The Wall stuff, but Can You Feel It was made, I heard, was also one of the first music videos made, and it was made mm. for the tour purpose. So I don't know if they used these videos on like the Victory Tour, Triumph Tours. Could be. Oh, really? Could have been. I don't know. Well, so they used so they used the video on a tour. Yeah, like you know the "Can You Feel It" intro when. Oh yeah, like, yeah. In the beginning, I I don't know the rest <laughs> of the poem, <laughs> but yeah. um, and they're showing like the creation of the world that was like part of the intro for um, one of the tours. So, yeah. That's interesting because I presume that is also quite revolutionary. Like people didn't do that, you know. Those because they're very common now. You know, the introduction to the to the tour, you'd have a video kind of montage or something, and yeah, I, I, and and so like high budget because <laughs> I seriously you know for that period of time, yeah, <laughs> it was really good. Like all of these videos, I mean, it's amazing how sometimes you'll look back and. MTV or whatever the TV no network will be doing an 80s week or 80s like marathon and some of the other videos look very like of that period of time and these mm -hmm. Michael Jackson videos for some reason they don't and I'm not sure why. I think it's just because we are like so used to them we see them around so much that they don't really seem to date so much. Yeah could be. Maybe we're yeah. biased a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I do, I do feel like that. And also, I don't think he kind of led on, like, big trends. He was the trendsetter. He wasn't following the trends that everyone else was doing. So, yeah, because um, it's funny, um, I've been looking at some videos from 1986, like, um, hip-hop and stuff, and they've got, like, Jerry Curls, and they've got the Michael Jackson, like, coloured leather jackets, and you're kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's obviously an imitation of Michael Jackson rather than vice versa, you know. Right, right. 
Um, but yeah, what's interesting with this album as well is how it impacted on the Jacksons' career as well. Um, so I think I've mentioned this before, where um, the Jacksons. So when when the when Off the Wall was released, the Jacksons were on tour in Europe, and mm. they were doing kind of small, not small, but you know, like theatre shows. I think about a, a thousand or two thousand people per show. They actually did one down my road in London, um, and it's online. It's at the Rainbow Theatre in uh, Finsbury Park. Wow! And um, they did that in '79 in the spring. And then after, so that was the first leg of the tour. And then after Off the Wall was released and all the success of that, then they did an arena um, tour in the US, uh, which carried on until, I think, until 1980, um, or at least till the end of the year. But it, so it really, I guess, for the family then and for the rest of the brothers, they really see, oh, there's a, there's, you know, Michael Jackson doing his own work really positively impacts on our career as well. Like we should encourage it, but then also, you know, there's that tension between, you know, do I really yeah, need you or yeah. not? <laughs> uh, the power dynamics between the group and obviously within the family was kind of shifting at that time. Uh, you know, Michael Jackson was very much being curated and being controlled by his family particularly his father and 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 managers in that sense and that with this album he was really gave him the confidence that in his own in in his own capabilities and that he was able to go out on his own that he didn't necessarily need all these handlers and and his brothers in order to be successful that actually he was a lot more successful without all these other people yeah yeah i think Um, it's 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 hard too because i i can't imagine like how michael and the brothers had to you know, manage their personal relationships and still manage the professional one. It must have been difficult, mm. but yeah. Mm. Well, when it's also like intertwined with like family, money, like yeah. career, like all mixed in together, and you're so reliant on each other, it's so suffocating. Particularly when you're young adults and you want to make it on your own, you want to be independent, you want to be doing your own thing aside from your family it must have been really difficult to manage particularly when you have like you know seven eight siblings that you're dealing with right exactly (laughs) um so in terms of its legacy how do you see this album being remembered in the future um for me i feel like this album will be remembered as the most fun loving the most uh I mean, the beginning, basically, of Michael Jackson's career. And I think there's a lightheartedness to it. And there's uh, just like, I feel like it's nostalgic for everyone. It's just, Mm. it's filled with so many memories of um, the beginnings of Michael and what was to come next. So I think it's really, really going to be remembered as a classic. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like... um, Yeah, in in the sense that it's, yeah light-hearted and and fun um also really yeah like really exuberant um i'm just thinking i think also really cool i think it's a really like cool album i think it's i think it's like really universally like uh, you know very mainstream in that sense that i don't know like i i'm just thinking in terms of if you were gonna bust out a michael jackson song it's probably the cooler album to bring out like it's you know it's not it's not like the most it's obvious one to bring out or yeah. the songs on it aren't as like um 
you know, no. Well, they're not no, so cliche. <laughs> yes, not think, as cliche. I think um, "Don't Stop to Get Enough" and "Working Day and Night" those are all songs that like kind of get the party started mm. uh, for any era and for any generation. And I think that's um, yeah, it just makes it a really classic and timeless Michael Jackson album. So yeah, "Don't Stop to Get Enough," the party song of the century. Yeah, no, definitely. Actually, when I was um, when I was in New York and I was at the View watching the View, and in the in the breaks they put on uh, Working Day and Night. Oh, which nice! I thought, was an un- I thought it was an interesting song to put up, uh, put up, because uh, I presume not not everyone knows it, but I guess it kind of fits to the crowd as well. It was a bit of an old crowd as well, but I was yeah, definitely into it. <laughs> Right, so next up we have our Q&A, which is questions that um, some of our commenters have given in to us, or have sent in. Um, So if anyone has a question, please make sure that you comment below on YouTube, and uh, we'll make sure that we answer the best rated ones. So even if you haven't got a question, just make sure you check them out and see if there's any that you would like to answer as well. Um, So the first one that I have here is... Um, has your opinion changed about Michael Jackson since starting your channel? Which I think is a really interesting question, actually. I was really impressed (laughs) by people's questioning skills when I heard that one. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Well, I can just start and say for me, it has changed since I started the channel because I have just become like more impressed that there's just like such a wealth of information out there Mm. about him. And at first, when I started the channel, like, I was questioned by some people, like, aren't you going to run out of stuff to talk about? And now I'm, like, find myself struggling to find the time or, like, the structure to be able to talk about things in an order that even makes sense. And, like, I already have done 150 videos, and it's not even, like, 5% of what I want to talk about. Um, So, yeah, I've just become more, I guess, impressed by what he's done, more touched. Yeah. And... Does it kind of change, I mean, any of your, like, opinion or, I guess, do you feel like you've learned doing the channel, like, way more about him or another kind of side of him? Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot because I tend to go back to the, like, autobiography and, like, interviews to hear some of what he says to talk about, like, his work because I feel like a lot of times, like, in the media, like, they don't use, like, his own words, because he didn't really say much, you know? He might Mm -hmm. say two or three lines about making a song, and that's it. But Mm -hmm. I still think it's important to, like, recognize, and, like, so I've had to go back and read that a lot, and I've learned also that, like, sometimes um, perspectives and stuff change, so, like, what he might have said in 1988 might not be what he thought in Mm -hmm. 2000, and... So I've had to learn how to like kind of piece the puzzle together and kind of make my own assumptions. Well, and that that's an interesting aspect because a lot of people say to me like, well, Michael Jackson said this, so this must be the fact. And it's like, well, also Michael Jackson might have other ulterior motives in terms of how, why he said something at a particular yeah. time. Um, also his opinion, yes, could have changed or he might have another opinion at a certain time. Like you can't just say just because you can't just use it for gospel. So you have to take different accounts and other people's perspective on, you know, what he might have said or a particular situation or his opinion about something. Um, 
and people do grow and they change with their opinions. And like I just said earlier, I might like one song this week and next week I don't really want to listen to it at all. So this is just part of being human. And I think sometimes we do have to put the puzzle together. Like, like you're saying, we can't just take it as the gospel. Yeah. Time. Yeah. It's, that's a really interesting question for me. I'm just thinking if my, if my opinion has changed, I think, I think I have like such a better understanding of him as a fully like developed character. I don't, I think it's very easy as a fan or as a, as, as anyone really to, to form a, want to kind of contain him within a certain narrative and say, this is who he is, this is what he was like. But I think he was so like multifaceted and for his life there were so many different kind of, um, you know, the, the, the way that he thought, felt, his actions were, you know, they yeah. evolved over the t- over time that you, I, I've definitely built like a much richer, deeper like depiction of him, um, which isn't just kind of like, you know, because lots of people are like, well, why did he do that? Why did he say that? And it's like trying to explain that in like two sentences is so hard to do. Right. Um, so, and I, I guess that was one of my main motivations for starting the channel, which was like just trying to work him out. Because I've read so much like before starting the channel and I'm like, still don't get him. Still don't get what <laughs> like what his perspective is or what he was try- hoping to accomplish or... Um, you know, his, his whole relationship to, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, so yeah, but I definitely feel like I just have a better insight to who he was as a person. Um, and I almost feel like when people do say, well, he said this, so that's truth. I'm just like, oh, you know, you're literally just taking one, one, you know, strand of a story and you're just saying that's all that all and everything it is, which is like, I mean, with any story, there's always different sides to it or there's different yeah. ways of coming at it. And um, so that's why so much of it is uh, subjective and you can't really um, have an objective view necessarily. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cool. And then our next question, which uh, was written, was... Um, what would he do in the hours after he came off stage? Um, so I was wondering if you had any any insights into this? Well, I know that he was super hyper and super um, like energetic, and he said he couldn't sleep mm. for hours after he got off stage. Um, and then that was part of the reason why he had a hard time with the touring, because of the sleep. You know, he would mm. be ha- high on this adrenaline kind of off of performing for two hours straight, uh, and then he would have to come down from that, go to sleep, and then wake up and do it all over again. So I have no idea exactly what he was doing. Um, mm. I tried to think about this and <laughs> um, <laughs> think about if I re- recall him ever saying anything besides that, um, and I don't. Yeah. Well, I can also imagine, like, if you feel like he comes off stage, he gets backstage, I presume... I, I'd, I It'd be interesting to see if, you know, p- certain, like, you know, if he was at the... Um, Staples Center in Los Angeles or Madison Square Garden, whether he would take, that people would want to see him, he would like to have celebrity guests or something. I presume he didn't really, I presume, I don't know, could you imagine like him hosting guests before or after? I presume it might be before. I think before, uh, Mm. I would assume before, I think personally that 
after the show is over, like Michael Jackson, like says goodnight everybody and walks right off the stage into a van and drives away. Yeah. I think I don't think because you know there are some celebrities that'll like stay in the dressing room and get undressed and unwind and all that. I don't know if Michael Jackson would have been even able to do that because of the sheer yeah. amount of people that would wait. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to also think when he gets in that van and he would go back to his hotel or wherever he's staying, there would just be hordes of press and 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 fans outside as well. So that's going to be really difficult for him to kind of unwind when he has all that chaos just outside of his building. Yeah, definitely. Right, because people are there singing and chanting and trying to get his attention and he's throwing down pillowcases and ordering them <laughs> pizza. <laughs> so yeah, it must have been like an all-night party in a way. I, I would love to hear, like, because I know there are people probably listening that have been to a concert and, like, have done the thing where they've gone to the hotel after. Yeah. Like, any insight into that? Let us yeah. know. <laughs> it's like you get you get a sign outside saying, Michael's asleep. <laughs> right, Keep right. Keep it down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that would have been amazing. Okay, and then the next question we have is, I know his favourites of hers were Rhythm Nation and The Knowledge, but uh, what other music uh, did Michael Jackson... What other music did Michael Jackson like of Janet's? Um, okay, so I actually don't know of any other songs by name, mm -hmm. but I do know that I saw... Janet did an interview a few years ago where she said that Michael would play his albums for her first. Like, she said she was, like, one of the first people to hear the entire Off the Wall album or the Tyler Thriller album. And she was saying that a lot of the siblings' music influenced each other's. So wow. I'm sure that there are songs on her album that Michael not only knew about and loved, but maybe he had an influence on it. Because she was saying, like, in the house, you know, one sibling might be playing the piano and the next person might add on a little riff to it. Mm. And so there a song became born out of just them playing around in instruments because that was their family, so. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I presume Janet was living in the house while, well, she, I mean, she must have, I, I know, yeah. I don't know the full story of the Control album, but I presume she was living there for a period or was it, um, I know it was produced in um, uh, Minneapolis. Um, oh, right. You know, I think, though, that she was still living there because I recall that even through, I think, the Rhythm Nation album, she might have still been living at home or at least been close by because I think mm. she was taking care of the animals at Havenhurst. And that's why she said she had the key on her earring. Oh, okay. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I found a quote from her in that same interview and it says my parents were serious on us doing chores after doing a concert I'd come home and it's like okay this needs taking out and that needs washing the animals need cleaning and you end up and you end up writing songs singing three-part harmonies and songs came about this way so mm -hmm. I assume that if she's with the animals she probably is at Havenhurst yeah yeah I can imagine I think yeah, I think it's it's interesting because obviously Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson are like the standout, you know, in terms of their music out of any of their siblings. So if 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 they're saying that one sibling would be involved in another sibling's album, then you think the outcome would have been similar or I True. You know what? You're right. But I, I, also... I, I, I wonder how much Michael Jackson was listening to the Toya's albums and was giving her advice. Oh. Or... 
Okay, I will say there is one Latoya song that I absolutely love, and that's because it was on the this show called Pop Up Video. Do you remember oh, that okay. show? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, there was a show on VH1. I don't know if that even exists outside of the US. I think this... I might have seen it on YouTube. Is it where they give little facts? Yes. About... Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I there was an episode of um, the Jacksons pop up video, and they had like pop up facts about like beat it. It would come up like as the moment would come up. Oh, okay. And they had one for Heart Don't Lie, and I I remember like really liking that song. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. A, that's a fun one. Yeah. No, and but I th- I think for my because th- that would actually be interesting to do a whole topic on it. But you know Michael Jackson and and Janet Jackson's relationship because I don't feel like there was any sense of rivalry between them. I felt like there was almost like a kinship with them in the sense that you know it was relieving for Michael to have a sibling that had you know a, a, a you know a huge amount of success like he'd had as well that she she could relate to what he was going through that there wasn't all the focus on him and what he could do for everyone else that you know that you know that they could yeah. relate to each other in that way yeah i agree and i think they had a lot of influence on i think they both had influence on what each other was doing because like uh, for example, I was reading the other day that like "Beat It" was a song that Michael Jackson wanted to help him get like that mainstream appeal, like a rock song that anyone would pick up. Mm. And then, few years later, Janet Jackson did that with her song "Black Cat," which was like another like you know mainstream type of rock song that helped to broaden her appeal. And you know, I think Michael talked about one time that the Captain EO um, military style, she wanted to use it for Rhythm Nation, and mm. then. Like, that's how that happens. So I think it's cool to, like, really, like, actually, like, it would be cool to, like, look at a bunch of their videos and listen to a bunch of their songs and see, like, what influence was there that they didn't talk about. Yeah. Because I can't really see a lot of influence in uh, the Control album and Thriller. So I feel like she was very much trying to, you know, you don't want to just make Thriller (laughs) 2.0. Right, right. (laughs) uh, That would be too obvious. So... but I can see, I don't know, she kind of has a Prince vibe, obviously, because she's working with Prince's producers, but there was yeah. a, th- there was that element to it. Um, so it's kind of like sidestepping influence of, you know, another contemporary rather than, rather than her brother. Obviously, that was too, too obvious for her. Right, right. Like, I might be wrong, but I feel, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, or you correct me if I'm wrong. I think that in the Bad Tour, I remember them playing, like, in the interlude when Michael was getting dressed. I think it was the Bad Tour. They played What Have You Done For Me Lately as part of, like, an interlude or something. okay. I haven't heard of that. I feel like... Yeah, I feel like that was what they played, but I might be wrong. Did Michael Jackson have, like, opening acts or anything? Because I'm just thinking maybe when... Because I can imagine on the tour or... um, you know, in, in the stadium as people get in their seats that they would play, like, Janet music as well. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, I actually don't know about opening acts. I'm assuming that he did. I've never heard of any yeah. stories. Um, but, yeah, that would be cool if they played, like, Janet hits and stuff. Yeah. Maybe a little Jermaine. You never know. He had yeah. some hits, too. That would be another <laughs> great question for someone who actually went to a Michael Jackson concert, if they remember any of the music that was playing and the you know, in the stadium or the arena. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. 
Um, so next up, we're going to do our Desert Island Disc quick fire round. We're, yeah. We're slowly getting through all these different songs. Um, right. So we are at number 31. Have you got your notepad? Yes, I do. I have the full list here. And hope everyone's been keeping up with the list yes. and doing their own too. Yeah, I'd be really interested to, to hear anyone else's, um, what, what their choices would be, whether they differ from ours. Um, I've just seen the first one and this is really difficult for me. So, I, yeah. Okay, first one is Someone Put Your Hand Out or Man in the Mirror. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. <laughs> that it really is. is so tough. Okay, so Someone Put Your Hand Out is honestly one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs, but I think that Man in the Mirror embodies the spirit of Michael Jackson, so I'm going to go with, personally, Man in the Mirror. Yeah, this is really difficult because recently I've been listening to both these songs so much, um, and actually on Man in the Mirror, <clears throat> there's a really good version by Single White Glove, um, is that on YouTube? Oh yeah, yeah, SWG mixes, remixes. Yes, um, yeah, really, really good mix of that. So I've been listening to that loads. Um, cause, yeah, Man in the Mirror I haven't listened to in a long time, but recently I've just been all over it. Because oh. um, you said Man in the Mirror and I feel like it's being represented, I'm going to say someone put your hand out because I do just absolutely love that song as well. Okay. It should have been a single. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I love it so well, much. It, wasn't it released as like a promo single for Pepsi? Yes, and I have the cassette tape. I've never opened it because I don't have a cassette player, but yes, it was released. <laughs> oh, wow. Limited release. How, how, how did that, how did that, was that something to do with his like commercial endorsements or? Yeah, I feel like it was. Was it a charity single or something? It was a promo single for the Dangerous World Tour. I think the front of it, let me see if I have a picture of it. Because the front of the single says like Dangerous World Tour on it, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know why they didn't release it. But they did have it as a part of the uh, interludes on the Dangerous Tour. Like you hear the instrumental of it. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, on yeah, uh, yeah. It was an interlude on the tour as well. Yeah, it was a, a promotional single. Um, I can't find much other information about it, but it says that it was released. Uh, 500,000 500, copies of it were released to promote the Pepsi. Uh, excuse me, pe the Dangerous World tour, and it was released in May of 1992. So. So is it like limited release? Like, so you've got a very rare item there yeah i just found that <laughs> out right now i didn't know it was that rare but yay <laughs> <laughs> brilliant right next up is keep the faith or one day in your life oh i'm gonna go with keep the faith because i personally love the song and wish that it had done better in terms of like maybe being a single and more fans loving it as much as i do <laughs> yeah yeah i do like that song i don't listen to it that much though no but no, I don't know why. Is it right at the end of the Dangerous album? Because normally... Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to say One Day in Your Life because I really do love that song as well. And that hasn't got enough recognition. That's so true. <laughs> we have to r recognize some of the Teenage Michael ballads because even though he says that he didn't really sing them with much conviction, I think, like you said earlier, they sound amazing. Yeah. And was that released... It was released in 75, but also was it re-released between Bad and Thriller? 
Or was that another song? Um, I think off one day in your life was re-released as a part of a compilation album between. I think it might have been right after Thriller or right before um, Thriller because by Motown, wasn't it? Let me see. Yeah, I th- I feel like it was like eighty four, that kind of time. Yeah, so it was the compilation album that was released in nineteen eighty one. It says. Oh, okay. And it was the the first Jackson album released in the eighties. Blah 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 blah. Okay. Yeah, it had solo and Michael ja- solo and Jackson five tracks. So I guess they did this as kind of like an answer to off the wall success. Because oh. Motown still owned all of these songs. Yeah. Assuming they still do, too. But anyway, yeah. so your choice is One Day in Your Life, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Writing it down. Right. Next one is uh, Will You Be There or Somebody's Watching Me? Definitely Will You Be There for me. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I like all these songs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Will You Be There, though. That's That's an incredible song. Yeah, I mean, um, fun fact, if anyone did not know that Somebody's Watching Me was made by Rockwell, which I believe is Barry Gordy's son, right? And he was, he like hid his um, name because he didn't want to like the song to do better because of just the fact that he was Barry Gordy's son, but yeah. And yeah, do you... I mean, I did do a video on this, but I can't even remember <laughs> how Michael Jackson got involved in that. I think, I think, I think he was recording in the same studio as Michael Jackson, um, and I think he was recording Thriller okay. at the time. And then they were like speaking, and then I think they were playing around, and he did this like line from this song, and the and yeah, Rockwell decided to like keep it in the song and make a whole song out of it pretty much. <laughs> That's too funny. I would not be surprised if Michael Jackson came and sang at least just one line for me, I would probably make an entire song or album around it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's pretty genius yeah. to do that. <laughs> oh, and also Jermaine Jackson was doing um, background vocals as well. So, fun fact, according to oh, um, the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah. Right, next up is uh, You Are Not Alone. Or Dirty Diana. I'm going to go with You Are Not Alone. I don't know, Dirty Diana, I just, you know what? I'm not into like any of the rock songs as much as I should be or as much as I feel like I, yeah, like as a fan, I feel like I need to embrace all of the Michael Jackson songs. But like Dirty Diana, I don't know, I just never got into it. Yeah, I, yeah, it's not one of my favorites now. It was when I was younger. Maybe I was just into more of the rock stuff when yeah. I was younger. But I, I've never really been into You Are Not Alone. Like, it's a kind of the s- similar, like, um, like nursery rhyme <laughs> song. It actually reminds me a bit like uh, Janet Jackson's Together Again. Oh, kind of. oh my gosh. I love Together Again. Are you, you don't like that one? It's too, is it too, like... I do like it, but they're just very... Uh, it's just very yeah. floaty, like, kind of sound. It has no, oh, yeah, I love that bit. It, it's just kind of, just Right, right, right. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but, yeah, so I'd probably say Dirty Diana, okay. to be honest. Um, but, yeah. Just thinking. 
Yeah, so do you not, like, um, give in to me or, like, who's it, who is it or any of those types um, of tracks I love well? give in to me. I love who is it, but I don't like beat it. And I am, like, so-so about Dirty Diana. Like, I'll listen to it in my headphones if I'm commuting somewhere, but it's never the song that I'd mm. be like, oh, turn that on at, like, a party or turn that on if, like, me and my <laughs> MJ friends are, like, hanging out because I just feel like... I don't know. It doesn't really make do much for the mood for me personally. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was also fun to see him perform it. Like that was cool. But just you know. Yeah, I love the video. I think the video yeah, is really great. It's, it's awesome. Do you like um, "Come Together" as well? Is that a song? I that like because that kind of got a rock edge yeah. to it. Kind of. I, okay, so I like "Come Together" for just like the purposes of oh my gosh moonwalker that was such a cool movie in my childhood but mm. yeah i like it i like it better than the original version i know that's very unpopular opinion but <laughs> there's that <laughs> oh come on you're michael jackson youtuber we have to have to expect you have some yeah, bias in here. exactly staying on brand <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right, next up is Enjoy Yourself or Do the Bartman. Definitely Enjoy Yourself. I don't know. I was never into The Simpsons, but I think it's cool that collab that he did. <laughs> you know what? It's so weird. I love really? Do the Bartman. I think that's such a good song. <laughs> yeah. So I do actually listen to that quite a lot. I remember there was a time when I was listening to it all the time. I don't mm. know why. Uh, obviously, it's meant to be a kind of comedy track, or but I, I yeah, I, I thought it was a really, really good song. So I, I definitely have to say, do the okay. Album. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I gotta go with enjoy yourself just because, um, yeah, I don't know. I think what was cool though about those um, Simpsons songs is like, did people not really know that he did that song when it first came out or something? It was like a secret, right? I don't know if it was a secret. I think it wasn't publicly released, but a lot of people okay. knew. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. I like <laughs> dropped my mic. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it was rumored that you weren't meant to know so that it built up this kind of, oh, let's listen to it. Let's see whether we can tell whether it's Michael Jackson yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, I think he was very heavily. Apparently, he had a real affinity with the Bartman, Bartman, with Bart Simpson. Uh, really felt like it was it embodied him, uh, which I can imagine Michael Jackson yeah. thinking about and saying that. Um, and was it was it? I, I presume it was around the time that he was he did his Simpsons episode as well. Probably. Um, well, I know Happy Birthday, Lisa, and all that was around the same. I think Do the Bartman charted though, like on the actual charts of something. Yeah. I think it did really well. Wait, I'm actually going to look this up. I think it might have got to number wow. one or something. <laughs> I think I was probably um, too young yeah. to, like, um, appreciate the Bartman, like, when it came out. But maybe I'll give it another mm. listen. Because I haven't listened, actually sat down and, like, listened to it in years. Yeah. So it was born. It was born. It was released in 1990. And I'm just seeing charts. It was number one in the UK, okay. uh, but in the US, I don't think it charted. Wow, okay. Uh, it was, so it was number one in um, Australia, Ireland, 
New Zealand, Norway, and the UK, but didn't chart in the US. So, Interesting. But, but even though it was number one in the UK, I never hear that song anywhere. So <laughs> I, I presume it was kind of a one-hit wonder. We liked it for about two weeks, and then we just kind over of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not okay. me. Not yes, me. I, I'm writing this down. <laughs> Yours is do the Bartman. Okay. Right, and then okay. Next one is you rock my world or leave me alone. Oh my gosh! So this is so hard because you rock my world is so like it's such a memorable. It's a, a song that holds a lot of memories for me because I saw this performed live at the 30th anniversary shows. Oh, so I'm gonna amazing. have to go with that. I'm gonna just have to go with you rock my world. And and but you love I love Leave, Leave Me, Me Alone, Alone. Is and that what you're I think it's actually one of my favorite music videos, if not my top. Same. Yeah, I mm. I actually had a a really f interesting moment a few years ago. I went to a Julian's auction when they auctioned off the jacket for Leave Me Alone. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, the like military. Yes, like... the one where he was laying down wow. as the like the roller coaster, the ride. And it was like mm. the gold, red, and black. And I went there and I was like, I'm a blogger. Because this was before I started doing actual YouTube. And I only had my written blog. And mm -hmm. I was like, I'm a blogger. And I like sh showed my card. And I was like, I'm here to cover the story, whatever. And I didn't know that at auctions, you have to actually sit and wait for the item to come up. Like, I sat and waited for four hours. I think the auction was three, six hours in total. I waited through all these like Elvis and like all these other items. <laughs> Finally, yeah. waited the whole time, and then they saw me there, and a guy from Julian's Auctions let me go up on the stage behind the curtain and um, see the jacket. I did not get to touch it or anything, but I got wow. to see it right up close, take a picture with it. So, Leave Me Alone has a lot of like meaning for me. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing. I would love to go to one of those Julian auctions. Yeah. <laughs> just to it's see so what they have. Fun. I, I I think they have them at the Hard Rock cafes. I don't know what they if they have them in London or. Probably. No. Not. <laughs> you never know. I imagine it being in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I would have to say I love them both, um, and yeah, I love the video for. I think I think that's probably the most. I mean, obviously, Leave Me Alone is the most kind of bio autobiographical um video yeah. for michael jackson just really clever really well put together um i don't i would actually be interested to hear like how much he was involved in that in the creative execution i don't know whether it was just someone came up with the idea and he was just like yeah that's brilliant let's do that um but i i'm gonna have to say you rock my world um just because yeah as a song that's a, that's a great song yeah, um, it's it, it was really good. I feel like it didn't... I mean, but then again, I'm not going to say that it didn't get the recognition it deserved because I still hear it being played along with mm, a lot of other really yeah. like popular Michael Jackson songs. And I guess, like, as a fan, it's great that you have a song, you know, at, at the later period of his life, which is still so catchy, so great, so recognisable, and that kind of... I don't know, it's a good, like... Um, uh, what do you call it? Like a signpost yeah. or something of like him during that period and him still being like iconic and amazing and creating great I agree. music. Right. Next up is, I mean, <laughs> okay. Next up is torture. Okay. 
by the Jacksons or We Are the World. Oh. <laughs> I gotta. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna just go for cultural impact here, and I'm gonna go with We Are the World. Um, but yeah, if I'm honest about what I listen to more, it's probably Torture. <laughs> really? Yeah, I love it. She went up the stairs to nowhere. Right? <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to say We Are the World. But I really, I don't listen to the Victory album at all, really. You know what's so funny? Like, um, I've, so I've reviewed all the Jacksons albums and I, on my channel, and I've had the hardest time reviewing the Victory album because, like, I just never fully got into it. I don't know. Um, mm. But I do love Torture. So there's that. <laughs> Is there any, any other... Do you like... Uh, there's one called Body. Uh, I, okay, so I like Body. I like... Um, I think State of Shock is on there, right? I think. Um, yeah. Body. I'm going to have to pull up the discography track listing because it's one of those that I just never listened to as a kid. And therefore, even when I got, got yeah. older, I was like, oh. Um, let's see. I feel like the Victory album, the songs that stood out the most for me are probably Torture, um, oh, you know what, though? But then this has the song Be Not Always on it. I like that song a lot. That's a really nice ballad by Michael Jackson. Um, mm. Yeah, that's actually a really sad song. <laughs> so maybe I do need to go <laughs> ahead and do that review. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to revisit, revisit it at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think it's, it's an in interesting album, though, because this is... Um, this is the album that was done. This was like, I guess, the last one really with Michael on it, and yeah. um, after Thriller. And he he worked on it for a long time with them. I think. Yeah. Um, it just took ages to produce for them, because uh, obviously I feel like Michael was being pulled in different directions, and he was preoccupied by other stuff. So it just dragged on for right, ages. Right. Right. Yeah, I think this this album was like uh, the idea came when Jermaine came back after like the Motown Twenty Five special, and so they're like, let's do this mm -hmm. again. But I don't know for sure how this did, like chart wise or like how the reception was. I'd have to do some research on that. Well, it didn't it didn't do well at all, and I that was a real. Um, uh, where well, it had a real impact on Michael Jackson's mm. ego because obviously this was 84 he was like king of the world was doing you know amazingly was the biggest selling artist of all time and then to have an album like that come out and not do well it kind of taught Michael Jackson that oh I don't just have a magic touch oh not everything I you know produce is just gonna you know be unprecedented right. success um, and also doing my videos about Michael Jackson and Prince, that was one of the things that really annoyed him that Prince was doing so well with Purple Rain and was having all this like, you know, commercial success. And then he puts out victory and it's yeah. like crickets. Um, so it really kind of like made him think, Oh God, I'm going to have to really, you know, up my ante and make sure that I keep on top of the competition because they're gaining on me. Right. Um, so, <sighs> Okay, so next one is um, they don't really care about us or give in to me. I'm gonna go with they don't really care about us because I like the um, I like the videos, I like the concept, I love the music, just everything about the song I love. 
Yeah. Um. And uh, and obviously because of your video yes. as well, you going yeah. there as well. So have some uh, uh, happy memories for, for sure. you. Um, I, I'm gonna say probably given to me, but I'm not a big fan of either one of those really. Um. But yeah, it's quite a cool song, like Given yeah. to Me. I can imagine it being remixed really well or sung live really yeah, well. Yeah, I like I like Given to Me. I wish that I had seen it sung live. I, if I recall correctly, I don't think that we ever really saw it live. Um, mm, I don't and think so. Yeah, I like it. I'm behind your choice 100%. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the next one up is Jam or Who Is It? I'm going to go with Jam because I was listening to it the other day and I was like, man, for an up-tempo song, these lyrics are like very deep and um, meaningful. So, Jam. I don't actually know what the lyrics are. <laughs> like, I just, I just mumble. <laughs> no, I it's so it. like, it's so groundbreaking, like the stuff that he's talking about. And I just love it. Like, there's a part where he's talking about finding peace within himself and you can't hurt me and nation to nation and all that. It's like big, mm. big concepts. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, I, I mean, Jam is one of my favorite songs of all time. So I'm definitely going to have to say it. It's, I, yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible. Amazing. I, 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 and I can, put, I can tell that it's probably one of Michael Jackson's favorite songs, at least to perform and dance as well. Um, and I'm really, and I feel like Jam is one of those songs with the Dangerous album that he thought, this is a new type of music I'm bringing in here. Like, this is like me uh, setting the trends and I'm, you know, bringing the artistic medium forward. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think it's really an incredible song. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Love Jam. Yeah. Right, and our last one is, right, so it's Blame It On The Boogie or Off The Wall. Um, okay, sorry. I am going to have to go with Blame It On The Boogie here. I'm going to go with Blame It On The Boogie. I don't know. I just like it. And, it, you know, these are some songs that are like ones sometimes I listen to them more than others. Um, my mood might change. So if you ask me the same question, I might have a different answer next week. But today yeah. I'm saying Blame It On The Boogie. Yeah, mine's probably Blame It On The Boogie as well. Yeah. Absolute classic. That's that's a real party starter as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love the music video. And I was just mm. watching the other day, like, how um, fun it is to watch the Jacksons perform that um, even now. Like, I was watching a YouTube video of the Jacksons performing Layman on the Boogie on, like, their current tour. Well, not current, but, you know, the last few years. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's funny to see, like, Jermaine singing the lead and all it's actually kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah okay brilliant well i think that wraps us up for this episode um yeah that's it from here at the detail uh thanks for listening and we hope to see you next time for another episode of michael jackson unspun yes thanks so much and can't wait to talk to you again next time <laughs> bye bye cool